1: It's your call for the best college football coverage from national signing day to the national championship and everything in between CBS sports presents the cover three podcast.
0: And welcome back to the cover three podcast here on CBS sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com cover three and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 Tailgate, which has been rocking and rolling here on a Thursday interactive because we're going to be opening up the big old bag of mail. You go. You leave us a five-star review, and in that review, you put your question... We will put it in a future mailbag episode. Also, says the Cover 3 tailgate is loyal with us all through the year, you know we are also going to be taking questions from there. We've got some big headlines right after we got off the show. Alabama had another former five-star enter the transfer portal. We'll get into that. Uh, A few sort of not necessarily like big-time headline, but a little bit of movement on the coaching carousel uh, as well. Uh, We will, before we get into all that, hit Some of the early birds, because we want to reward those of you who show up and get the questions going. So Alex, who jumped in almost an hour before we got started, says in the cover through tailgate, would some of the coaches from the pre transfer portal era be as successful with the way they treated players and amassed talent through deceit? example urban meyer at florida okay i'm reading this live now and i will say that we can maybe put the treatment of players and deceit and urban meyer maybe to the side the first part i do think is interesting (laughs) would some of the coaches from the pre-portal era be as successful uh as if we look at the portal era now
1: it's a pretty loaded question there that is
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we don't know that Urban Meyer was lying when he said that God, you know, had the vision for him in, in the dream that, that the player needed to play for him, right? Like it's <laughs> possible that it happened. Who knows? Isn't every facet of recruiting?
3: I don't know. I mean, deceit's a really strong word, but there was a phrase that went around Florida State when I was there. Brad Scott was our offensive line coach, and he was one of the best recruiters we had. And he was one of the most hated coaches once you got on campus. Oh, everybody could not stand him. And he used to say, like, I remember in training camp, like it was yesterday, he would yell, and everybody'd be like, You'd see these freshmen, like, who the heck is this guy? And he had a line, he's like, The honeymoon is over and the marriage is about to begin. And it was like, Oh, and everybody was shocked. Now, by like, now, if you had that type of mentality. If you just recruited from high school, everyone bounced, right? You can just leave if you don't like them. Mm -hmm. So now that recruiting is consistent. Like you constantly have to recruit high school, re-recruit your roster and make sure your players are happy. But in some cases, I'm sure the coaches are like, I don't, I don't have to re-recruit this guy. I can let him go. You know, as we've talked a lot about on here, but yeah, I do think the older school coach who just, all he knew he had to do was get you on campus first day of classes and he was done those days are long gone.
1: Hell, you're still kissing their ass even after they commit to another school because you know they might enter the portal and come back. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think the question though it it depends. Like, if Urban Meyer just jumped right back into coaching right now, I don't know if he would be able to have the same kind of success if he brought the same approach he did before. But I mean, Nick Saban started off pre NIL and adapted, and now he's you know retiring. A lot of these coaches that are currently coaching started off pre-NIL, pre-transfer portal, and they have adjusted. So I think a coach can adjust, yeah. But if it's a coach like Urban Meyer in the example who's been sitting out for however many years now, it'd probably be a lot more difficult. Like, I I
2: think Kirby has a chance to keep it rolling, but he already had it rolling pre-NIL and pre-portal, right? Right. Can a, a new guy who has not had elite success come in and match like what an Urban or a Nick did. I I have my doubts because I, I think it's going to be harder to keep rosters that are just stacked one to eighty-five, right? You're going to have to play more young guys or more less talented guys. You're not going to have quite as many studs stick around. Now if you're doing it right, you're still getting to you know self-select the very best of all the four and five stars that you sign. And the people who are taking the guys who are leaving your program are getting you don't want to say scraps, but clearly like, they're, they're, you're getting seconds, right? Like not the guys that the program chose to keep in most cases. But sometimes those guys turn out really good. Drew Sanders went to Arkansas, first-round pick, right? Jermaine Johnson went to FSU, first-round pick. Or I think Sanders went first-round, right? Or at least pretty high pick. First or second. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's tougher to keep your roster loaded 1 through 85, and I think we'll have Probably more parity because of it among the top teams in this new era. I don't think we're going to have the parity one to one thirty three, but we've ne- really never have, honestly.
0: Well, I, I cannot believe you guys are missing it. You know who would not be as successful in the pre NIL pre transfer portal era if we had transfer portal and one time transfers and the freedom of you. movement? Bear Bryant. All right, Bear Bryant was signing 45 (laughs) players a class. They had 140 scholarships on the roster. You're telling me Bear Bryant is going to win six national championships when everybody's coming to feast at the roster the same way that everyone's feasting on Alabama's roster right now. Bear Bryant does not have six national championships if we have the modern transfer portal NIL era.
1: You're you're saying that, the culture and Bear Bryant's program wasn't strong enough to keep those guys together, Chip?
0: I don't think so. I think it's very difficult. I mean, how do you even maintain that relationship? You can't do the Hugh Freeze and put on the headset and play Fortnite with the recruit trying to lock him down, all right? What's Bear Bryant we're talking about? There ain't enough carrier pigeons in the state of Alabama to be able to maintain all the contact that you need to recruit and re-recruit your roster. So yeah, any anybody who had a lot of success and was over signing in the pre-portal era, I mean, Bud just mentioned it's difficult to do it one through eighty-five, and eighty-five is something we have cut down to. Yes. So, yeah. Um, all right. Let's speaking of that, uh, let's hey, let's we, we Andy and his team did such an amazing job. We got at least show the art. So let's jump on into the portal. All right. So right after we got off the show, and I think that maybe we might have even mentioned it a little bit on the show, um, we were wondering about Caden Proctor, the former five-star prospect who was a starter for his true freshman season. He has the he did not need to grow into his body. His body was ready to go and play at a high level right away. Tom. Two things. Number one, I saw you um, detailing some of your observations from studying Proctor throughout the season, and what did you see in terms of his growth? And two, these uh, these these crystal ball predictions—they've got him going to uh, the uh, the offensive line machine that is uh, that is the Iowa industrial complex. So, what what do we make of Proctor? And goodness gracious, what that could be for the Hawkeyes if they get him on board?
1: I was I was told by one Alabama fan that Caden Proctor's a system left tackle. So yeah, I mean, you gotta, all these players are overrated now. <laughs> overrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Proctor, like he he's comes from Iowa, where he wasn't playing against the stiffest competition in high school, and gets thrown at left tackle for Alabama in the SEC. You'll be shocked to learn that he kind of struggled early in the season, getting up to speed. But as the year went on, I mean, this is something like this was the Alabama offensive line as a whole. We, we talked about it on the show during the season. We talked about it heading into the playoff when you were trying to evaluate this team. The line was bad early in the year. Proctor played a big role in that because when your left tackle is struggling, most of your line is going to struggle. It becomes hard to pass protect that way. But he got better as the year went along. He wasn't perfect. He wouldn't be somebody I would consider an All American or an All Conference player. But for a true freshman starting in the SEC at left tackle every single game, I thought he was playing well. He wasn't a detriment, and I think that he's a he was a very highly rated prospect for a reason. He has the frame. He has the athleticism, and he was learning how to play the position as the year went along, and I think this is a guy that would very rarely come available in the transfer portal in that you're going to have three years of a left tackle who could, by the time he leaves school, be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. So he is going to get a lot of interest in the portal. I think Iowa is mentioned for obviously he's from Des Moines, Iowa, he was where he was committed to originally before he flipped and went to Alabama. But I think that's where everybody's connecting the dots. I think that's where he's most likely to land. But at the same time, Iowa doesn't have an offensive coordinator yet, so there could be other there could be wiggle room for other schools and programs to step in. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. But he's he's a very good prospect. He's going to have a lot of high interest.
2: Yeah, uh, that that guy looks more intimidating than a lot of the guys that are professional wrestlers. He's <laughs> an 18 year old kid who has an enormous body. What we see in in development is that those guys who are that big usually take a little longer because that's just a lot of body to coordinate. Mm -hmm. Okay. And despite all that, he started from day one for Alabama and he had one of the highest one-on-one pass blocking rates in the sec. So Alabama must've not thought he sucked because they (laughs) didn't give him help hardly at all. All right. He actually, (laughs) the pressure rate allowed by him was pretty damn low. Now, he allowed a lot more sacks. So he allowed 24 pressures and 11 and a half sacks.
1: And who now, are those biggest, sacks on? Right.
2: The sacks are in large part on Milro because he's, yes. his pocket presence is like zero. So, yeah, like to me, there's probably three guys that Alabama is really bummed to lose Proctor, Downs, and Bond. Those are like the three proven high level guys that are like, damn it. Now, I think they're probably pretty annoyed to lose all the other guys who would have been depth and some of whom. Would have like at least I don't know if they would have started, but they, they would have been in the in the running to play snaps for Alabama. So, yeah, I, I think Proctor's a really high level guy. Is he an NFL left tackle? I think it'll depend on the beat, but you, you don't run him out there for that many snaps without giving him some kind of chipping or, or, or double team help. As an eighteen year old kid at left tackle, uh, if you don't think he can play, did you guys read? Uh...
3: Steve Wilkons, Steve Wilfong's piece where he talked to Gary Downs, father of Caleb Downs. I thought it was really insightful, Uh, and it puts things into perspective for you because you know clearly, Bama fans are you know losing their mind. How could we lose him? How could he leave? You know, what about? You know what you've done? So Gary Downs told Wilt Fong there are so many factors. Unfortunately, some of the things he went to Bama for are gone. The whole coaching staff is now gone. Obviously, Nick Saban is an X and O wisdom and scheme playing for the GOAT, running his defense. He was the stabilizing force. Charles Kelly left to Colorado, now at Auburn. Pete Golding left for Ole Miss. Uh, T Rob gone to Georgia. Guys like Sam Petito, he spent a lot of time with. Freddie Roach and Robert Gillespie are still there, but every coach he built a relationship with and taught him the defense, they all left. I mean, like, what more you need to hear than none of those guys are why you went to Alabama. None of them are the one who taught you how to play, and they're all gone? Like, this should be a good thing that he is allowed to leave, and I think it is. Um, and it's just, I, I thought it really put things into perspective to hear his dad kind of say those names and be like, yeah, n- why would he
2: stay? They don't. They don't come for the logo. They, you know, for the logo. They come for the coach, right? <laughs> like Nick Nick Saban is much bigger than Alabama's program. You know, it it without without Saban, with their NIL structure right now, as it currently stands, they're just another SEC team with a lot of history.
1: But, but they're, they're
2: they're a team that guys don't know who these coaches are, who they hired, in large part. You know, like Kane Womack is a guy I think people in the South know, but these players don't. Ken hadn't been recruiting any of these guys. South Alabama doesn't recruit four and five stars. They don't know who the hell Mo Linguist is. So it's going to take some time. I, I think Kalen DeBoer is an excellent football coach. But I, I, if you're downs, Georgia runs the same defense. And Georgia's going to be a hell of mm-hmm. a lot better team than Alabama is. And you're probably going to get a much bigger bag at Georgia. So why would you stay?
0: Mm. Do you? We We sort of touched on it a little bit <clears throat> in yesterday's show. And I think that the conversation has continued. Uh, Bud, you mentioned on the show, like, did Alabama, you know, get hurt? You know, basically spinning out that the timeline of all this is the worst possible case for Kalen DeBoer. And that, you know, maybe even you hire a ball coach because you understand that you're not going to be running at the same Alabama talent level yep. that you had from the 2023 season. So at least if you've got somebody who can coach them up, then that you're you're not hiring somebody who is just a negative when it comes to game planning, play calling, getting your team ready to play on Saturday. Do you think that we will see any any sort of changes to the the way that this is set up? Because the fact that it's Alabama means everybody's talking about it, but it is revealing this this 30 day window when a coach leaves. What happens if that coach leaves after the transfer portal is closed? These the do you think anything will adjust in the uh, in, in the calendar for all of this?
3: Something has to give.
0: Well, I think what it has to give is this is just another messy reason that gets us to the end. It's like right. we, are in, we need to hit fast forward like four seasons, yes. maybe less, but I think that we are in the growing pains of getting to where college football will be. And this is just one of several examples that get pointed to often where it's not, it, it can be better, but there's not an easy fix because then there's something else that needs to be fixed along the way. We have just been putting duct tape on all of the issues. And until we get to something that is more equitable for both sides, that, which is probably revenue sharing, collective bargaining, all those things, then it, it's going to be difficult to be able to keep putting little band-aids and duct tapes on, on every single leak that you see.
1: I don't you know if this answers the question you were actually asking, but you mentioned the 30-day window after coach leaves does that really have to be 30 days like wouldn't 14 be enough to kind of yeah. understand whether you want to stay or go
0: as somebody who has to cover this yes 30 is too many let's yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting if you did 14 though
2: i think you'd have more guys jump in not less
0: interesting
2: because it, ah. it shortens the window like 30 mm-hmm. it's like hey man you got 30 days to jump in you don't have to jump in right this second right well that so that Cheers. was uh, Rick Neuheisel, who
3: you know, works on SiriusXM CBS as well. He said the portal for these players shouldn't open for two weeks, then be open for two weeks, so that the first coach has the first right of refusal, right? The new coach has the opportunity first, so they don't make the rash decision. There's one big pesky problem in all this, this thing called school. <laughs> like it really, like in the calendar, we can look at all that, the windows that are open, the windows are there because of school. And that's the issue. And that's why I think with Chip, you're talking about like, we need to fast forward to where we figure out are we even including school anymore? Are we even going to yeah. have this, you know, getting way? I don't, the I don't way? want
1: those nerds worried about class on my team anyway. I want football players. Right. There can be nerds. a very
0: competitive academic league that we will also talk about here on the Cover Three podcast. And then we will have the national championship, you know, given to whoever wins at the Win- highest
1: level. When academic bulls start selling out a hundred thousand seat stadiums, then I'll give a damn about these kids going to class.
3: <laughs> and you know what's crazy is it not going to get any better because next year, guess what we'll be talking about right now setting up national, the championship national game. championship game. Yep. So like mm-hmm. we like we could have had multiple rounds of these if there's a coach that maybe gets a promotion to a bigger school or you know this. It's only gonna get the problem's only gonna get worse.
0: Yeah, like team gets bounced in the quarterfinals on January first, then that's on the third, and then another school is hiring from the semifinals because they lost their coach. I mean, the the one month long playoff from December 20th to January twentieth, my broken business brain was like content. For a month, this is going to be fantastic.
3: So, like when Kalen Bohr gets fired after his third quarter finally only appearance, right. this will all be there again.
0: Yeah. Uh, this, it's, I don't, I don't have the answers. All the coaches I've talked to say the same thing, more or less, which is, I'm not smart enough for that, but I hope somebody is. And I think that hopefully, enough people talking about it will inch us there but it sure seems like we just got to hit the fast forward button it's going to be a couple messy seasons uh, as we figure out what the future of college football looks like at the highest level i asked a lot of
2: coaches at the convention i was like hey what what do you want to see changes wise that you think won't get nuked in court They don't know what'll
0: get nuked in court i'm not they got a pretty good
2: idea like if it's if it's stuff that like Obviously, restricts players' rights when coaches can move, and then you make the players not be able to. Like that's going to get beaten, yeah. Because they're like you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. Not employees, but yet we have non-compete type restrictions on them. Courts already don't like non-competes for actual employees. They definitely don't like you putting non-competes on people that, in your same filing, you're saying are not employees. But one thing I thought was interesting is, is they do think that they might be able to push through an NLI, not NIL, NLI. For transfers. That way, you don't have to worry about your transfers getting flipped. Like right now, transfers don't actually sign any documents that lock Mm -hmm. them into a school. The only thing that locks them into a school is enrolling. And of course, you're only locked in for one semester, right? Because you could transfer again after the spring, which is preposterous, but that's clearly, it, it logically follows if you're saying these guys aren't employees, they should be able to have unlimited freedom of movement. So, what they don't wanna do is have to continue to recruit guys. Like, let's say you tr- you commit to me as a transfer in early December, and yet my semester doesn't start until January 12th. They're saying like that is something that probably wouldn't get struck down necessarily or could last a couple of years until we get this whole thing figured out. We institute an NLI for a transfer. So if, if the kid signs a transfer NLI with you, which I think the very best transfers would never do because there's no reason for them to give up that leverage and lock themselves in until the very last minute. Uh, but you could maybe sweeten the pot with some nil if for signing that NLI. But that would help them at least not have to constantly keep uh, babysitting the commitment of the transfer because that like we are seeing transfer flips now
1: quite a bit. That was sort of the new complaint. Can we change the name of nil to salary? Yeah. Salary. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah we're, we're we're close to that. Um, let's. <clears throat> Let's hit a break. A few more questions from the Cover 3 tailgate, a few updates from the coaching carousel, and opening up the big old bag of mail with, hey, another another NIL-related question. But it's a fun one (laughs) looking back at college football history. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, we'll go from the Cover 3 tailgate for this next one. Black Mamba says mailbag. What happens first Alabama wins another title or a team that defies the blue chip ratio wins a title.
1: What if it's both?
0: What if Kalen DeBoer leads an Alabama team that's sitting at 48% on the blue chip ratio all the way to a national championship? I'll tell you what Kalen DeBoer, if there's going to be a coach to lead Alabama to a national championship without hitting the blue chip ratio, it might be Kalen DeBoer who had Washington that did not meet the blue chip ratio playing for a national championship at the end of the 2023 season.
2: I was trying I mean, to be humble and say, oh, sorry, Tom, go ahead. No, go. I, I was trying to be humble be like, I think somebody's going to bust the blue chip ratio eventually. And some personnel guys I know are like, dude, that thing is going to last forever now. Now that we're in the 12 team playoff because these mm-hmm. blue chip ratio teams that make the title game, like the second playoff game they play, they get stomped. The, the ones who don't don't reach it now you'd have to win three or four playoff games with inferior talent so I'm gonna go with Alabama here I mean yep me too yep it was almost busted this year
3: if the committee didn't screw over Florida State <laughs> once yeah. an episode I got to get one in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But no, like what, what you're saying, about what the coach is saying, that's been my thing with the 12-team playoff all along. It's going to increase teams that could get to the playoff and feel good about themselves, but it is going to severely limit the teams capable of winning a national title even more because you have to win four games now, and it's going to be really, really hard to do that unless you are an elite talent-level roster.
2: Although think, if the talent spreads out more. That's what I think. And we happens. could still have a greater number of teams that actually win it.
0: Like if we don't have the 90s, like right right now, that Georgia, when the graphic was up going into the season and Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State are sitting at 89 to 92, where basically the only players who aren't blue chips are the long snapper
1: like that. Uh, If the highest that anybody's at is 60 percent, the team at 60 percent is still the elite level talent because it's in the hundredth percentile. That's what I'm saying. That is true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Mm. Uh, in general, I agree with the principle because your depth will be tested in the 12-team playoff. I do think we're going to have... Was it not the NBA playoffs, some of it's just who's healthier? like Who's, who's got the bodies that is going to be able to last all the way until the end of the NBA playoffs? I, w- I think that our 12-team playoff might have something similar where it'll be a war of attrition. But I also think that bracket luck is something that could happen. And if there is a monster in a particular season and the monster gets bounced in the quarterfinals and now all of a sudden the path is open that you don't have to beat one of the top blue chip ratio teams, that increasing the number of games in the tournament makes it possible. But it is my respect for Kalen DeBoer in Alabama, where I'm going to say Alabama wins another title next. Also,
2: if Alabama does slip under the blue chip ratio, uh, DeBoer is so fired.
0: (laughs) Yes. they, They would not tolerate that. (laughs) Um, All right, let's take a spin on the coaching carousel. Just a couple quick notes here. Um, South Alabama loses Kane Womack to go be a coordinator for Kalen DeBoer. I, uh it's a name I haven't heard in quite a long time. Major Applewhite, come on down. Head coach at South Alabama. Bud, what do you make of the hire?
2: Well, uh, I, I didn't think their offense was amazing, but um, I'm going to assume that they have a pretty good feel for what he is or is not as a coach since he was already on staff. And uh, we'll we'll see if it works. The Sunbelt feels uh, fairly wide open, I guess, with uh, w- with Troy having a lot of turnover there. Certainly don't think they'll be as good as they have been um, well South Al definitely invests a lot in its program they're, like they're one of the Sunbelt teams that is more resourced. So we should know pretty quick if he can coach because came you know, Womack had him had him playing at a pretty high level relative to that league. You know, they didn't actually win it.
0: It was win- bad at the end. Of, I mean, it, excuse me. It was bad at the end of Houston.
2: Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm, uh, yeah.
0: Late in the cycle. Probably
3: surprised to South Alabama. They did not think they were going to be in this position. Maybe thought they had survived the December, you know, coaching carousel. Makes most sense to keep continuity, prevent the roster from falling apart. They're familiar with it. Guessing it's probably a reasonable deal. I think it kind of makes makes sense from that standpoint.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, he was already there. And, yeah. you know, it's continuity. And, again, at that at that level right now, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to go swimming in the deeper waters for coaching candidates.
0: And then on the assistant side of things, after initially uh unintentionally revealing to all of us that Ole Miss was looking at either a player from Virginia Tech or Boston College, you know, and boasting that Derek Nix was very much still a, a part of the staff amid rumors that Hugh Freeze and Auburn were looking to make him uh a part of the Tigers staff, we do get news broken by Lane Kiffin himself, not Auburn, and not Derek Nix, that after 16 years for Ole Miss, Nix will be leaving to go to uh, the former division rival or the conference rival, Auburn, where, according to Lane Kiffin, he will be the full-time play caller for the first time. Interesting here. January 9th. Reports indicate that Hugh Freeze says, I'm gonna be the play caller. January 17th, Lane Kiffin congratulates Derek Nix on being the full-time play caller. Danny, did the did the Troll King just drop oh, another heater right now? I only wish Lane Kiffin was as entertaining
3: in person as he was on X. I mean, he is the <laughs> most entertaining, but if you like if you meet him in meetings, he's not he comes off disappointing, right? He doesn't bring these type of bites and sound occasionally he will before a game when he says get your popcorn ready but a lot of times he uh he's not as willing to talk the trash I mean this is the ultimate troll right wait here.
1: wait wait you're telling me there's somebody who's more willing to talk trash online than in person get the <laughs> hell out of here
0: But <laughs> he has been needling Q Freeze for weeks yes He's and needling
3: he all, uh, Alabama overnight sending pictures around Tuscaloosa. Like he's, he's That's all he does is needle different people, and I love him for it, but this might be one of the most masterful troll jobs I've seen.
1: Mm-hmm. No, it was hilarious. It got a genuine laugh out of me when I read the uh, <laughs> the, the statement on Twitter.
0: He okay. undercut him on the announce. I, I did see from some Ole Miss fans, they were like, Derek Nix deserved better than to just be, like, an object of your troll. And, like, I, I cannot relate to that. I'm sitting here as some of the audience that Lane Kiffin was speaking to. I got a huge laugh out of seeing it. And especially as it goes into the rivalry with Hugh Freeze. So... Yeah, may, may, Derek Nix. I'm sure he's going to get a great contract. He's got a great opportunity as, according to Lane Kiffin, the full-time play caller. But do you think it's a good hire for Hugh Freeze as he's trying to fix an offense that was woeful, um, you know, by his own standards this past season? I don't really have much of an opinion on it.
2: Like to me, I, I think Hugh Freeze is either needs to win in 2025 26 or he gets fired. Right, like I don't think there's really high expectations for Auburn to take a massive jump this year. The schedule's still really tough. The recruiting class they brought in, I think, is really special. Like I, I'm much higher on some of the guys Auburn signed than the industry is. I, I think they have some real difference makers. So uh, those guys will be sophomores in 2025, and that is the year upon which you freeze will be judged. I don't really care. Also, he should them.
1: have a new QB by then.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it, this was not a good year for portal quarterbacks for the most part. Like, it wasn't, there, there weren't a lot of studs, but uh, Auburn should have some money to go really buy a special guy for 25 and get that thing rolling because they will have some really, really talented receivers. You know, I'm like, sure whatever money, the guy in year two, which I'm, I'm skeptical of, but we'll see.
3: I'm sure whatever money the raise that Derek Nix is getting paid makes up for whatever feelings were hurt with the troll job. But Lane, uh, excuse me, Hugh Freeze's like, comment in the official Auburn article. I'm really excited to reunite with Derek here at Auburn. He's an extant, uh, outstanding recruiter and coach. Recruiter and coach. Like and I he's coach more, recruiter two. and coach. Like he said, recruiter first, coach second. I think that is by design, whether it was meant to be or not. Um, I think that's the real reason why
2: Derek Nix is there. Yeah, he first gets it. You, you don't yeah. coach your way to sc titles. You, you Dan mullen found it out the hard way you need to recruit your way to them
1: yeah you with, with, with coordinators with coordinators it's great if they can recruit but you don't want it to be their primary calling card most of the time
0: all right let's go to uh the cover three tailgate uh Joseph Smith says long time listener first time chatter my mailbag question y'all consider only a short list of program to be national content national title contenders year in and year out what can teams not on that list do to get there Crude. Get on the list yeah. <laughs> <Crude>. <laughs>
3: uh, well I I think to get there see this is where I do think we say get there case Let's talk about the 12-team playoff because I think this is what makes it exciting. I do think there will be more teams, obviously, who are going to have a chance that will feel like they can win a national championship. And that's a good thing. Um, obviously, it starts with the program development, getting the roster closer to where it needs to be. Um, I mean, that's it is a talent acquisition business. It's what it's about. So, then you gotta kind of you gotta get a culture builder, somebody who's gonna coach the culture, then hopefully get a quarterback who can play. I mean, it's not
1: impossible I, to get there. I think playoff contender and title contender are two very different things. Totally agree. And the question yeah.
0: said year in, year out, which is yeah. why yeah. like you can't you can't just go for the TCU example. You know, you can't just like nitpick even a Washington this year. We're talking about like national championship year in and year out. We're talking about a level that, for example, right now, Tennessee is trying to get there. So what are they doing? Investing and recruiting. Like
1: I think Jason cancel's comment is a very good answer. <laughs> That's it.
0: Let me pull it up. Jason. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Love it. Jason says, no, uh, step one, load up on portal talent. Step two, sue the ACC. <laughs> I,
2: I guess the, the missing piece is over what timeline? Because I, I think it, like the answer, if you're saying like within the next 10 years is basically nothing unless the sport, the, the rules of the sport drastically change. But over like a a quarter century, if you get some things like massive migration of population to your state, you know, look, look at the state of Florida. We, we had air conditioning and mosquito control come along within about a 10 year period. And that was a huge deal because if it was hot as hell and you, were, you know, had a bunch of mosquitoes around, nobody really wanted to live down here. And the, the population of the state exploded and then Disney came. So that can drastically change a program if you have available talent, like crazy. That's not really within your control as a university. Uh, Having some boosters hit the Powerball is another one. Like, Like if you had really, really passionate fans hit the Powerball, that could drastically change it because then you could run an NIL payroll of like 13 or 14 or 15 million every single year and make sure that you always had top roster talent. You know, like that would be something for sure. Uh but
0: you're are you talking literal powerball or are we yeah. saying like a figurative powerball? No, ball? like hit the yeah. powerball. Okay. Um the
3: I mean, other thing I think you do is you push, you hope for the change that the massive change that's coming in college football. Maybe there is a salary cap. You know, like that's the other thing you can hope for.
2: What, right? It's what push the, for some sort of parody. One of the things I really like about NIL though is like Ole Miss is not a team that is consistently contending for it. And I have my doubts as to whether they're truly contending for a natty this coming year, but they certainly think they are. And they've identified a time where you have a lot of experience coming back, some spots on your roster, you can really go and upgrade and a favorable schedule compared to your normal standards. And you can go for it. Like Previously we didn't have the opportunities for, for a program that wasn't a consistent contender to actually push their chips in. Now they kind of can. It, it's, it's pretty fun to see. There
0: you go. Do you want your favorite college football program to join the group of national championship contenders? The answer is at the convenience store behind the counter (laughs) with those lottery tickets. Also, Michael in the Cover 3 tailgate, uh, air conditioning and mosquito control. That's interesting as far as Florida attracting more population, but actually had an entire segment of an episode two years ago where we talked about the creation of like air conditioning as one of the biggest changes to the modern college football era. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll dig it back up. Maybe we'll talk about it again. Speaking of a question that comes up a lot in the Cover 3 universe. So we've NIL has been a big part of today's story. Um, today's episode has been a big story throughout you know, the modern last two to three years in college football. So what about like 10 years ago? What about like 20 years ago? Let's remember some dudes. Who are some of the players who would have benefited most from NIL if we're if it were around? We'll get into that and more next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, one of the great things about being able to reach out to our robust community in the Cover 3 tailgate, both live and elsewhere, is getting a chance to hear from y'all, which is why we're going to open up the big old bag of mail. All right, so this first question, it some version of it seems to pop up from time to time, but especially with the the way that the conversations have gone here with the the portal and and you know that we talked about the nil tax, it seemed like it was fair to hit up Quacker McGee's question from the big old bag of mail. Again, you leave us a five star review. In that review, uh, you put your question. We will grab it. We will throw it in the big old bag of mail. Quacker McGee says. Hey, y'all love the show just started listening this year and I've gotten more into college football than I've been for more than five years. We love to hear that. My bail bag question is this. What player or players in the last 10 to 20 years before NIL and the transfer portal do you think would have benefited most from its existence? either because they were a stud in college who, who never stood a chance of making it to the NFL, so they could have gotten multiple bags in college, or because they would have benefited from transferring to another school where they would have been a better fit and boosted their draft stock. Thanks, Quacker McGee.
2: Tim Tebow.
0: That's on my list. Mm-hmm. we think that's... Um, definitely- yeah, because I, I
2: think he transcends just the Gators because it's Team Jesus, and he was so out there with it. I think that is so marketable. And he also was really good, like impactful as a freshman in those sub packages. He won the Heisman as a sophomore, so he's a returning Heisman guy. I I just wrote down one name when
1: I looked at this <laughs> question. Like To me, it, it's Tebow by a mile. Plus, yeah, I mean, he still has marketing appeal now, and he hasn't – I mean, what has he done – Right, In any recent time frame to be like, "Oh, I understand why that guy's still getting commercials. Yeah, I think Tebow is the poster boy for this question. I think I going further back, I, I kind of approach this more from a aspect of guys who when it comes to benefit like didn't have great pro careers they were great college players because I think if you look at it that way like Cam Newton would have made a ton of money in an but then he went on to make a ton of money in the NFL so how much of a great benefit was it but like guys like Tebow who didn't have long NFL careers Tommy Frazier Eric Crouch all those kind of guys who had fantastic college careers but were not really NFL players I think Brian Bosworth would have made a ton of money because he was like a social media superstar 40 years before I mean, social media existed. I think he would have made a ton of I mean, But as far as like the transfer one, I didn't really consider that. But the first name that popped into my head, do you think there is any way in hell Calvin Johnson finishes his career at Georgia Tech if he was able to transfer in the transfer portal NIL era? That man that, would have made a lot of money somewhere. So and
2: he I likes like, Georgia Tech. Like he comes back to events yeah. and stuff. But still, no, Reggie Ball was throwing the ball. And I used the word throwing generously there. He was so, <laughs> heaving.
0: Yeah. Hey, right. the vase. Jared Lorenzen, I mean, you know, he he had a passionate fan base that was rocking and rolling. I, for the Cam Newton, you think you probably have the NIL just to get to Florida, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: then you leave Florida. Then you get to reopen negotiations again. I mean, that sounds like you get multiple times at the pay window. Cam Newton's got to be on there for sure. He might have been
3: Tebow before Tebow because he wouldn't have had to steal a laptop. He, he would have been If
0: whoa sliding doors, if nil were around, yes, then maybe. maybe Cam Newton doesn't allegedly take the laptop. I thought about this kind of differently,
3: like Tom did, because I think there's obviously the obvious big names of college football history who would have crushed it. Most of those names did crush it anyway. So it was like, who would have it been ch- like life changing for? I thought about. Like like Tom said, some of the guys who didn't have NFL careers, but even like the baseline, like you hear some of the numbers that are just going out like a Texas offensive lineman. Or what I've thought about a lot was the amount of players who left early because they had to. Mm -hmm. And they became – and guys that we don't even know their names, a lot of them. But they left early. Maybe they were a seventh-round pick. Maybe they went undrafted. They get cut. They never played again. They could have come back – made more money than they would have made in the NFL, maybe increased their draft stock. You know, I just, those are the guys that I think probably, those are like the sad stories we never heard about that it would have really benefited them the most, that never had a chance and could have really get a head start on life if they would have had some money and maybe even changed their NFL path if they had another year of development.
0: Denard Robinson. I think that... And one thing that I was looking at for this, and this is so nerdy, but again, there's a lot of different ways to attack this question, which is one of the reasons why I was glad that we were able to get a lot of different responses. So I've got like March 06 as when YouTube really takes off. And I started to think like, who were the true highlight real players in in that era? And Shoelace was up there. Percy Harvin was up there. A lot of people- Steve Slayton. Listen, Steve Slayton and Pat White- could have been able to make a buck because a lot of the ways that, you know, you think about um, you know, the popularity, it's kind of a what kind of a star you are. And in that post-Youtube era, our stars were created by highlights more so than stats. I mean, we remember Denard Robinson scoring that touchdown in its very first snap. We're like, whoa, who is this? And you think about the money that would have been there for him behind Michigan. I feel like Shoelace could have uh, could have made a, a decent dent. Uh, in the in the NIL era, given his style of play, the time around like oh nine two thousand ten 2010 or so, and then also the the school that he played for with that kind of you know recognizable stature.
2: Tavon Austin and
0: D'Anthony Thomas as well. Oh Which man. D'Anthony really Thomas's uh, highlight reels are insane. Um, one who probably would
2: have never been at Marshall had the, the rules been around today because weed's legal now in, in a lot of states. But if you actually had Randy Moss sitting at Marshall, like the bidding war for Randy Moss to get his sophomore or junior season would be uh, – we said Caleb Downs was the best player ever in the portal who's not a quarterback. Uh, Randy Moss would, would be uh, the new one there.
0: So you mean the one that DK was trying to get on the field? Yes.
2: <laughs> that one. Like, dude, can you imagine that the bag Randy would have got? Oh, my god, dude, unfair. Off the charts. Cheat code. Yeah.
0: Obviously, yeah. the answer is Danny Cannell. That's right. Cashed in. in made more money, yeah. I, mean, I would be working 18
3: jobs now. I, I still would have lost it in the day trading career. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was going to say. <laughs> it
3: just would have
2: hurt more. It probably would have burned a little deeper. Uh, Peter Warrick could have got an actual deal with Dillard instead of suspended. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again,
3: a lot of these issues might have been avoided if they yeah. actually had money. They wouldn't have had to go steal stuff.
1: You know who? Here's a name. Ron Paulus would have made a ton of money. Any Notre oh, yeah. Dame quarterback during the era where they were kind of stuck in, uh, I guess, Brady purgatory. Quinn? Our
3: boy Brady Quinn, dude.
1: Brady. Brady would have cashed in. Yeah, yeah. They would have it. like they would have all cashed in huge because Notre Dame would have had obviously the financial support from boosters, and they would have had the desire to be like, please, just for the love of God, be the guy that can get us back the glory.
0: Brady had the wins record till Ian Book broke it. Does that sound yep. right?
1: Um, I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that, just being around for that long and being a part of that many wins, I mean, you're, you're able it, to... Uh,
3: I actually talked to Brady about this in the Hall one time at uh, at the HQ studio. He's the all-time leading passer at Notre Dame. Did Sam Hartman, like, get that as a Notre Dame quarterback? <laughs> he doesn't get that, because I know, no. and Brady and I were, I was like, that's messed up if he did.
1: No, he only gets the yards down. he threw on that uniform.
2: Yeah, there's no way.
1: That, that okay. should not count. All right, I mean, good. Brady's got that record by like 3,000 yards. So yeah. He's hit Sam it Hartman
2: a had a
3: chance in like six years to get it. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but yeah, he he does. If he had been at Notre Dame for six years. Right. Then, yeah, he he would have been able to do it. But there's there's no way they would have let Sam throw the ball that much. <laughs> Mike, Mike Vick as well. Oh, yeah. Yes. That, yeah. yeah. That like, goes into the highlight reel. Even though YouTube was definitely not around uh, at that point, we were still... About less than a decade out, but I think that uh, that's a that's somebody who everyone was watching. That that right. comes with the explosion of SportsCenter and the idea that like you're waking up and, and you're putting it on and you're watching all the highlights because Virginia Tech would win games in the Big East that were from like the begin kickoff to triple zeros, not entertaining games, you know, like kind of yeah. slogs. But Vic would provide. Four incredible plays that would win Virginia Tech the game. In addition, with likely what a blocked punt or some other Beamer ball, you know, stuff along the way. But that's his. The experience of Mike Vick distilled down to highlights is incredibly marketable and still is to this day. The other thing too, I don't, I do think there's, you know, people said
3: me in there or Tommy Frazier, like the explosion of college football. Like, 90s. Yeah, I was just but I would say late 90s like when yeah. game day started, when EA Sports started, I think of 94, 95 was the first game like and then all of a sudden because I remember getting recruited and some of the pitches was for a lot of schools was we played six games on national television. Like that was the mm-hmm. recruiting pitch. Now every game is on like just the explosion in popularity, exposure of college football in general. I would say over the last 20, 25, 30 years have been the guys that would have crushed it most, which is most yeah, of the names we've given people.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking along those same lines. I was thinking like LeVar Arrington would have made a ton of money because Penn State and those teams where he was on it were kind of peaking at the right time as far as television was concerned because like Penn State was on every freaking ABC like every week during those years. And then Eddie George, like those guys would have made a ton of money.
0: Um, one last, and then we're going to say uh, no. David
1: Pollock's a good one in the chat too.
0: Yeah, that is a oh. good one. <clears throat> Um, all American. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mike, we'll, we'll put NIL to bed for a mail, a mailbag or two after this one. But, uh, but I did, this question is from Knowles 522. Great show guys, best podcast out there right now. My question is, do you think that with paying players with NIL, it will become more like the NFL model quarterbacks, tackles, and defensive ends are going for the big bucks and then the rest gets diverted into the other positions that you can find pretty easily, example, running backs. But I'm going to turn to you. You talk a lot about sort of managing essentially the, the salary ca- or managing your roster salary cap. Um, do, you, do you think this is already happening right now yeah. or it is following the NFI, NFL in terms of the priority? And I think this was already happening even before NIL,
2: back when it was just purely like the <clears throat> cash signing bonus bagman game. You, you were still paying more for premium positions. Like the, the positions that matter are always the ones that have mattered. You know, it changes a little bit as the game evolves. I think receivers get a little more now than they probably used to, but quarterbacks always going to get the most. Uh, it, you don't hear a whole lot of stories about teams just wildly going outside of the norms relative to positional value. So I, I think every team that has a serious NIL operation right now is already
1: using this.
0: But they don't pay tackles the way the NFL does uh there are many available yeah yeah they're not any good
1: ones you, you, a tackle is going to get plenty of money in the in the portal if he's good
2: you think oregon got the rhode island kid for cheap last year when ohio state really
0: wanted him because
1: i no. don't unless proctor really wants to go back to iowa you don't think he's going to get plenty of money in the portal right now
0: i, I think plenty but it just to the way that it is at the mm-hmm. nfl the difference between like a really good offensive tackle and a really good
1: linebacker is stark right I think that's the case in both levels, yes. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Overall, in general, I think the question, I do think it'll follow the NFL model. Yeah. Like, I mean, we were talking about Quinchon Judkins. Like, I, if he, you know, Ole Miss, I think, could have afforded to keep him,
2: I think, if they really, really wanted to. I mean, Larry Tunzel didn't drive by Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn, and didn't make the left turn on I-10 to LSU because he really liked Oxford. They do pay for offensive tackles.
0: Yeah, here you go. That's a, that's a, that's a, um,
2: he's from Lake City, uh, in, in Florida, by the way.
0: That's for those of you who couldn't, I 10, bam. Yep. Yeah, listen, it's like, uh, Indiana Jones go by the busy by map, you know, <laughs> you just sort of see it weaving along the screen. All right. Uh, this one's a little bit more specific, and we do like uh, a lot of your specific ones because it taps into not just what you want, uh, but a lot of the fan bases that listen to us. So this is from S. J. Hawks 27 Mailbag, what can we expect from the USC defense in the first year of DeAnton Lynn at defensive coordinator? In terms of national ranking, players able to get in the portal, or even will they just be able to actually hit back when an opponent hits them in the mouth?
2: I would say improvement. How much improvement? It, it, they brought in a lot of guys on defense last year in the portal, uh, you know, less this year. They lose what Bullock. There's a couple guys who, who leave, but they still have some decent talent. This is a like legitimately one where coaching could help, assuming Riley lets him run practices the way that he thinks they should be run. That's long been a question, right? can you operate a really good defense with, with the way that Riley wants to run practice? I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, but I, I would expect improvement out of them for sure.
1: I think they'll probably be a little more aggressive too. They're a little cautious for my tastes, the way that they kind of played. So, yeah, uh, I, I think you'll probably see – I think you'll probably see just better fundamental play. And I, I think that starts with tackling. It's, it's one of the things – We don't mention enough, but it's like I'm thinking back to the title game a couple weeks ago. Everybody's commenting about how great Michigan was at tackling. I don't care what scheme you run or what your plan is. The most important thing any defense will ever be able to do is tackle a guy when they get to him. And the teams that tackle well are going to be good defenses no matter what scheme you run. So if I'm USC and I'm these new coaches, that is the one thing I am addressing. And that's the one thing like you're kind of hinting at there, but with the way they prepare and practice, you need to work on that because those you, and it was the same thing at Oklahoma, like they they don't tackle well. There's a whole lot of just kind of Olay arm sticking out kind of stuff where it's just, they're not really trying to go through the ball carrier and it kills them. And I think that's the one area they really need to work on. Good.
3: They have an all-star cast of coaches,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. right? They need to match the the roster with the coaches. Like they have some pieces there, but I don't know. I think they'll be better. I think there needs to be a mentality shift. I think they need to get tougher physically and mentally. I think they need to get better at tackling. You know what's really hard to do today is get better at tackling when you're not really allowed to practice it much. And Mm -hmm. there's so many things that the rules prohibit. So it is a lost art. Although the best teams in the country, they tackle well. You know they figure out a way to get around it. They're pretty hard on their teams. I don't know when they do it. If it's in the spring training camp, they spend time on tackling technique and drills and get it done. Um, and they've got to get better.
1: Not to derail the conversation a little bit, but. Like you, if you watch the NFL playoffs this weekend, you saw a lot of horse shit tackling. And the reason for that is as they're playing all these games and they're getting later in the year, these teams, they're not doing it in practice right now because they're just trying to get all these guys healthy for the playoff run. So you show up to the games and nobody can tackle anybody. And you're just seeing like the Eagles in that game against Tampa. How many tackles did that secondary miss? Like you saw just got it's it's a fundamental that you just kind of everybody's kind of pushed aside.
0: I think the USC will improve by 100 yards per game and by at least one yard per play because that is exactly the improvement that UCLA had in the one year that Lynn took over. Mm -hmm. A UCLA defense that was very leaky and got pushed around a lot all of a sudden became one of the best defenses in the Pac-12. UCLA, before Lynn got there, remember, he came from the Ravens, right? He's coming from a really Mm -hmm. good, sound coaching staff he showed up at UCLA, and they improved by more than 100 yards per game and by more than one yard per play from 430-something to 330-something and from 5.6-something to 4.6-something. So if that's my example of being able to change the mentality of a UCLA defense that had a lot of the same pieces, it wasn't like there was a huge makeover, I believe, but um, I, I think that he his higher – Combined with Zach Entz, the North Dakota State head coach, combined with sort of the way they're putting that staff together, I do think that we will see improvement um, for USC's defense as they enter the Big Ten era.
2: Also, they avoid the two teams in the Big Ten that I currently project to be the best two teams in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Oregon. And one of their Big Ten road games is at Washington, which I saw a graphic this morning that Washington – had lost every member of their offensive 2D? I mean, shout out and to – help uh, your defense if you get to face them.
0: Max, uh, Max Olson over at The Athletic actually has a running bit on Twitter what? right now where he's been yeah, redlining. He's, he's That's what I do with Alabama, yeah. yeah. He's putting the red line through the depth chart. And the team that we saw on the, uh, on the Monday night of the national championship ain't, ain't wearing purple and gold uh, when we suit up for 2024. That's for Sure. They
2: also get LSU early. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. I mean, no, like sorry. that, that if I think LSU probably will have a good passing game, I don't know if they have a, a, a great passing game week one. So, if I want to play LSU, I think I want to play them immediately.
0: I mean, yeah, we got who do we get from the portal? CJ Daniels from Liberty.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. he's pretty good.
0: Kyron Lacey maybe steps up some young bucks, sort of see who else fills it out, but it ain't. I'll tell you what, it ain't. It ain't Thomas and neighbors where you just you know going into the season exactly what it's going to be. So um, a lot of good stuff to keep an eye out. We will be back Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to keep it rolling. We've got our eye, of course, on that man, Mr. Harbaugh, see, seeing what uh, ends up popping up there. Well, I I tell you what, Tom, I'm starting to believe more and more he's going to stay at Michigan.
1: I think the longer he's not got an NFL job, the more likely that is. Yes. You no know, NFL jobs have been filled yet.
0: Belichick's about to have his second meeting with well, the Falcons. Belichick's
1: about to be a Falcons head coach. and the only I, other that wasn't job the place is for it. Harbaugh, though. How many meetings do we need no, to but have? To the the Chargers have been open for quite a while. True. Like, yeah. I just feel like the whole, why does he want that NCAA thing negotiated in his contract if he's really not that interested in coming back to Michigan?
0: Every day that goes by, I'm more convinced that he will be the head coach of the Wolverines. Now, will he be on the sideline for the season opener? I ain't betting on that.
1: <laughs> Minus
0: 110. <laughs> but, but as we continue to go through this, we'll keep an eye on it, but we've got a date on the calendar, Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Come hang out with us live at youtube.com cover three. You can follow him on Twitter at pod three. You can follow him at Danny Canelli You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. follow me at Chip underscore Patterson.
1: Gentlemen, thank you very much. Or is it not? Fiorentina sucks. <laughs> Super Copa!